1347, there was a dozen ships that landed in the Sicilian port of Messina, and what was found on the ships caused a great stir and a lot of fear because it was horrific. Most of the sailors were dead, and the ones that were alive were were terribly sick and covered in, in black boils all over their body. The authorities in the area did not allow the ships to stay, but the damage had already been done. This was the Black Death, the the bubonic plague, would lay waste across Europe for several years as it took almost a third of the population. It was a terrible time to be alive. Uh, The sickness was efficient in doing its work in the bodies of the healthy. People could go to bed healthy and and never wake up. Um, There were attempts to figure out how to treat the disease, Many of the attempts were foolish and actually brought more harm to the sick than good. Uh, The plague was a bacterial infection. Uh, We now know that this plague made its way into so many communities throughout the world because of the rats and and fleas that were finding their home on the trading ships. So as the trading ships would travel from one port to another, they would begin infecting each area and it would spread from there. Uh, Many people simply fled in the attempt to outrun the disease. But the disease could not be outrun as it was infecting the animals as well. There was actually a wool shortage because so many sheep died during this time. The disease eventually ran its course, leaving a wake of destruction and death in its path. Now, imagine for a moment if there was a doctor during that time that figured out the cause of the disease, and this doctor starts sharing about how the sickness is a bacteria and that the rats are carrying it and also is providing a cure for the disease. And the news is received well, and there begins to be some improvement. Then another doctor comes to town who has some nice credentials, starts using some pretty big and smart terminology, and, and teaches that Believing in small living organisms that you can't even see is foolish. Uh, It's not real. Uh, You can't even see it. Uh, People begin to follow after this new doctor and end up moving towards their death as they believe him and implement uh, his practices. So what does this have to do with 2 John? When John wrote the Gospel of John, uh, he wrote it in order that people would believe. So John chapter 20, verses 30 to 31 says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John was concerned about people believing in the truth. In sharing the gospel, John expressed the cause of our death which is our sin, and the cure for our sin, Jesus Christ, the God-man who came in the flesh, who lived, died, and rose again from the grave in order that those who repent and believe would have their sin paid for and the righteousness of Christ applied to them. But there was a danger. Sometime after the gospel message was proclaimed, there were false teachers bringing a false cure 
a false salvation. A false gospel brings a false salvation that brings, to an, that brings an eternal death instead of eternal life. These false teachers came in with different ideas and different beliefs about who Jesus was. They thought that they were more enlightened, uh, more s- sophisticated uh, than what John had shared. So enter the small book of Second John. There were itinerant false teachers who were a danger to the church. Uh, these traveling false teachers are seeking hospitality and shelter as they spread their false gospel. The church is called to walk in truth and love. So what does it practically look like to walk in truth and love? A major portion of how the early church showed love was by being hospitable. John is writing to provide very practical instruction with how to treat believers and how to deal with these false teachers in truth and love. John writes in order to provide them with three things, an encouragement, a reminder of a command, and a warning. So let's, let's read through this again. So if you haven't already, turn to 2 John. Read through the whole thing again here. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. Now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Lord, as we take a look at your word, as you provide us with eyes to see and ears to hear, uh, that we would grow in knowledge and in truth and love as we hear from your word. Amen. <clears throat> so like the other letters in the New Testament, uh, this begins with a greeting where we learn a little bit about the uh, intended re- recipient. And John calls himself the elder. It is likely that he's the oldest and living the oldest and last living apostle at this time. Uh, there is an authority and an eldership that he has in being the last apostle. There's also a, a grandfather type of love uh, that is present within his letters. He speaks to other believers as beloved children. 
not in a condescending type of way, but in a loving and an endearing type of way. When, when a loved one has reached a, a certain age and is close to death, uh, there can be a, a respect and a love and desire to, to hear from them what, what, what they have to say. And, and John has this, has this authority um, within the church. He has gotten some important things in, to say as a loving and endearing grad, grandfather. So who is he talking to? Now, verse 1 and 2 says, The elder of the elect lady the elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. So the letter is written to the elect lady and her children. I'm not going to dive really deep into this. Uh, there's some debate among scholars and theologians about who exactly uh, this is. This could be a specific woman who has a family, who may have hosted a church in, in their home. Uh, back in the early church, many of the churches were house churches. To view the letter written to this family would be a, a plain reading of the text. This could also be in reference to a church. The church has been described as the bride of Christ, and John often speaks to other believers as children. First John is, is full of imagery of John speaking uh, to Christians as children. And the Greek word, Karia, which is lady, also can refer to a social unit of people in the Greek city-state. So it's possible that John is using this terminology to speak of the church rather than using the word ekklesia that we see more often. Uh, this would also mean that in verse 13, the children of the elect sister would be uh, congregants of a fellow church rather than a, a sister and her children. So my, just my reaction to this um, is that it's probably written to a specific family who's part of a local church. Um, would, and it, it offers instruction to the church as a whole, um, which would be a major reason why we have it in Scripture. So it's useful for the church, even though it's written to this family who's a part of the church. Either way, with like whatever way you go with this, uh, this family or this church are faithful Christians um, that John cares about and is providing some practical uh, teaching and a warning to. So he says that he loves them in truth. And there are others who know the truth and love them as well. So, so this poses a major question. What does it mean to love in truth? What does it mean to love in truth? So in Christianity, I'll say that this way as well, in reality, uh, because the Christian faith is reality. Uh, truth and love cannot be separated. Truth and love go together. Uh, truth must be present in order for love to be present. Uh, truth comes before love. There's no real love without what is true. Uh, truth is eternal. Uh, it doesn't change. Uh, we cannot change reality and make our own truth. God spoke and has created the world and he defines how it works and, and what is true. God has also revealed a truth to us through his word and Christians also have the help of the Holy Spirit. John, 14, John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17 says, And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you 
and will be in you. John 16, 13 says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. So truth is not something that you need to search deeply within yourself to find. The modern idea of truth is that every person can have their own conception of truth that they view life through and then apply to the world. Uh, And then because of this idea about truth, what follows in our culture is this high value of self-discovery and self-actualization in order to live a satisfying life. This is the, the modern pagan way of thinking where the highest end is to discover this truth within yourself and then to live it outwardly. It's a lie. It's one of the earliest lies. The serpent tempted Eve to find wisdom in in a fruit instead of finding wisdom in God. And then she takes it upon herself to discover this truth that's outside of God and, and Adam goes along with her. Truth comes from God. We do not discover the truth within us. After we have been taught the truth for Christians, the truth abides in them forever and it shapes our lives. We have the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth indwelling us, and he reminds us of what is true in the Word of God and gives us the ability to then abide in the truth as we live our life. So what it means to love in truth is to love someone out of the love that we've received in the gospel. And this is not a subjective truth. And this is not a uh, what-makes-me-feel-good type of truth. There is such thing as objective truth and it is eternal. It is constant and unchanging. And if we have the truth, we have much more as well. Verse 3, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. So we have this threefold blessing that falls within truth and love. There is a progression of the work of God and providing grace and mercy and peace that shows the movement in God's redemption where he initiates salvation, giving grace to his elect, which is coupled with the mercy of the fact that we don't have to suffer the penalty of of sin that results in an eternal peace that we have with God because of Jesus Christ. The grace, mercy, and peace from God is promised to be with us forever. And it's from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. So John provides them with an encouragement. John is encouraged and rejoices greatly that there are some of the children walking in the truth as they have been commanded. Walking is often used as a metaphor of describing living life. And so we're commanded to walk as Christ walked. Ephesians 5 Verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. To walk in love is to emulate Christ. To walk in a way that is empowered by the Spirit. The constant habit of the Christian life is to grow in keeping in step with the Spirit. Galatians 5.16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. 
And Galatians 5.25 says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So for John, seeing the children living their life this way moves him to rejoice. So I'm going to move right into a, a, a practical thought about this with a question. What are the things in life that you rejoice about? What are the things in life that you rejoice about? What, what moves your heart to rejoice? What moves you to celebrate? Does rejoicing and celebration happen simply when you get your way? We're coming up to Thanksgiving, which typically means that there may be some family get-togethers. What if the holiday doesn't go exactly how you'd like? Will there be something that you're thankful for, or will the holiday be ruined? Many of you have family members that are walking in the truth. This is a great reason to rejoice. Um, Even if the holiday doesn't necessarily go the way that you would like, you can rejoice in the salvation that you have in Christ and that your family has in Christ, that they're walking in this truth. John says, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth. Ultimately, if things don't go your way, the family loves the Lord. Praise God for that. Rejoice in that. Give thanks for that. Having a family that walks in the truth is something to be profoundly thankful for. And so be encouragement to your family as, as they are walking in the Lord, um, even if things aren't going your way. A danger we can fall into is to define walking in the truth as doing what I want. Um, we're going to see here shortly uh, that this is not how we are to define walking in the truth. John gives a very specific definition of what walking in the truth means. I also know that for some of you, there's another side of the holiday as well, um, as many of you also have family family members that are not walking in the truth. So what then? Um, Well, the holiday can be an opportunity to show the love and grace of God. It is the kindness of God that is uh, meant to lead us to repentance. There's still reason to rejoice in the truth of the gospel even as we desire our family members to worship Jesus Christ. So John now provides them with a reminder of a command, verses 5 and 6. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. The command to love one another is a command that goes way back. Uh, Jesus sums up the law by saying, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it, you should love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus then provides a new commandment that goes along with this in in John 13, uh, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So the newness of this command is that it is in reference to the specific love of Christ to his people. The trouble comes when people try to define love on their own terms rather than on God's terms. 
Thankfully, John precisely describes to us what love is in verse 6. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. There are all sorts of people out there who will define love as breaking all sorts of God's commandments and believe that you should approve of the breaking of commandments in order to be loving. Breaking God's commandments is not true love. Do not be deceived by the world. The world will base love upon a subjective feeling rather than an object of truth. If they do not feel loved, then that must mean you are not being loving. Love is objective. The temptation is to follow suit with how the world operates. To make what I feel to be reality and truth in the definition of love. So then whatever I feel good about, that is the loving thing to do. No. Do not fall into that shallow idea of, of love. To love is to walk according to the commandments of God. True love is always going to fall within the boundaries of what God has said. Uh, to love is to walk within the commandments of God. This is why truth must be present for love to be real. When people are not following the commandments of God, then they are bringing about destruction upon themselves and their life. They're walking down a road that leads only to their destruction and ruin, their death. Uh, cheering and applauding someone as they walk to their Im- imminent demise is not loving. We need to know what God says about life. Uh, we need to know what God says about truth in order to truly love. And so we are to speak the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love will mean that there is a, a humility, there is a grace, there is a patience a compassion that is present. I've emphasized the truth here because you can't have true love without the truth, but don't miss the love portion. You can have all the doctrine, you can have all of the knowledge, but if you do not have love, you are nothing. Patience, compassion, grace, humility, all of these things are going to be present in, in a loving person. 1 Corinthians 13, 1-2 says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. You can be right and have the truth, but you can be arrogant and proud. Um, You can be irritable and resentful. No one's going to listen to you. Your speech ends up being a noisy gong. Uh, Yes, we must have correct doctrine. And correct doctrine should lead us to be humble and patient and compassionate and gracious as we share the truth. So this brings us to then the central reason why this letter was written. We need to be careful not to be deceived. So John provides this warning. Verse 7, For many deceivers have gone out into the world Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. So here we have another element of what it means to walk in the truth. Walking in the truth is to walk according to the commands of God and to correctly believe in Jesus. What John has just told them is that there are people who are deceivers do not believe that Jesus came in the flesh. 
These deceivers are itinerant preachers and teachers that are going town to town, specifically teaching this falsehood about Christ. It's likely, it's like they're, it's like they're bringing the plague, except it's worse because false belief leads to eternal death. They've gone out into the world. It, it, it's, also, it's likely that these people went out from the church itself. Um, these false teachers did not believe that Jesus actually came in the flesh. This is called the docetic heresy. Uh, docetic coming from the Greek word dokeo, which means to seem or to appear. The idea was that Jesus just kind of seemed to be human. He just appeared in, in human form, but actually wasn't. So they denied that Jesus was truly human. This is a, a different type of heresy that we don't see much today. Today, people generally believe that Jesus was a historical person in the flesh, but they relegate him simply to that. Uh, they would say that Jesus is merely an important uh, historical teacher who made a big impact on the world. They then deny the deity of Jesus while affirming his humanity. This Arian version of heresy surrounding Jesus is, is much more common today. Uh, we see it in, in a number of different cults and is really general, the general idea of our culture. Uh, Jehovah, Jehovah Witnesses and Mormonism are good examples of, of this type of heresy. The Arian controversy took place in the 4th century and culminated at the Council of Nicaea in 325, where it was clearly stated that Jesus is of the same substance as the Father. Some will point to this to say that the divinity of Jesus was made up at the Council of Nicaea. But that's not the case. The Council of Nicaea was affirming what the church had already believed for centuries, in order to defend against the heresies that were arising about Christ, uh, specifically the, from the Arians. And so I, I want to read the, a little bit of the creed here, what it says about Jesus. It says, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, Begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God. Begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things are made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sits on the right hand of the Father, and shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. Jesus is God. Arius believed that the Father alone was God, and that Jesus the Son was a creature. Arius believed that Jesus was the first and greatest of the creatures of God. So this the Aryan type of thinking is much more common. That's what we're going to run into more often in our, in our day. Don't be led astray by that teaching. Um, instead, hold fast to what the scriptures proclaim to be true, that Jesus is God. Um, but the Aryan type of heresy was not the heresy that was common in the day that the John writes. So instead of denying the deity of Christ, the false teachers were denying the humanity of Christ. 
They did not believe that Jesus came in the flesh. But to deny that Jesus came in the flesh destroys the gospel. How, how exactly does it destroy the gospel? Well, mankind needs a sacrifice that will pay for human sin. The wages of sin is death. And this death must be paid for by, by human. And this is why Jesus added to himself humanity in order that he'd be able to pay the price that was necessary for human sin. So then John provides this warning in verse 8. He says, Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. That's a strong warning. There is a, a negative sense in which this reward can be lost, but the positive side is that we may win a full reward. And so what is the reward? The scriptures teach that if someone is saved by Jesus, then they cannot lose their salvation. They will persevere. Philippians 1.6 says, And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. If Jesus begins something, he finishes it. And if salvation was dependent upon you or me in any way, we'd be sunk. We would fail. So thank God for the fact that our salvation is not dependent upon ourselves, but is dependent upon Christ. His work, his saving, we can't keep ourselves, but God is able to keep us. Jude 24 says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Thank God that the Lord keeps us. God saves his people. God keeps his people. And we also see that there is a reward to be had or to be lost. So we don't know the exact nature of, of this reward, but we do know that Christians will persevere in the faith. And Christians are also to keep guard, to watch out for destructive philosophies that deny the truth about Jesus Christ. And for those who go ahead in error, such as these false teachers, they never had Christ to begin with. Look at verse 9. So everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teachings of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. So those who go on ahead, they are progressing beyond what Scripture teaches. And in, in doing so, they're denying what Scripture teaches. They do not have God. To deny the Son is to deny the Father as well. Who, but whoever abides in, in the teaching of the apostles has both the Father and the Son. So we see the, the seriousness of abiding with correct teaching. And John gives some very practical instruction of how to deal with the false teachers that are traveling around. Verses 10 and 11. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, but for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Wow. Uh, hold on a second here. John, uh, didn't you just command us to walk in love? And now you're instructing me to not greet someone and to not be hospitable. What, what is going on here? Uh, 
That doesn't seem very loving. John is making this appeal to abide in the truth by also commanding the people to shut the doors on the false teachers. The false teachers are not to be welcome in our households or our church. Why? Because to welcome a false teacher into your home is to share and to take part with their wickedness. You are aiding them in deceiving by providing them help. And we are to have no part in the works of wickedness. Allow this warning and this teaching of being inhospitable to false teachers show the treacherous nature of heresy. It's a plague. Do not welcome the the black plague, the black death into your home or to your church. Do not aid in the spread of death. Do not aid in the spread of heresy by receiving a false teacher. This instruction about not being hospitable is specifically about those itinerant preachers and teachers. These are people who are specifically attempting to evangelize their heresy and lead people astray. So, can you have family members and friends over who don't know Christ? Can you greet them? Can you be hospitable? Can you care for the lost? Yes, absolutely. It is a good and gracious thing to share the love of Christ and care for the lost. That, that is different than aiding someone who is a false teacher. Allowing a false teacher to have a place in your home, to have influence upon uh, your family, to have influence upon uh, the church, is approving of them by your actions and helping them. That is what we are to avoid. Uh, do not even greet them, uh, he says, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. The way that John ends the letter, then, is by reminding them of the fellowship and hospitality Christians are to have with each other. Verses 12 to 13, Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face, so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. John has an appropriate longing for the church, uh, to see them and greet them face to face, to enjoy the fellowship and hospitality of believers as there's a mutual building up in the Lord. This is, this is what we do as the church. We come alongside each other, uh, we, we love one another, we care for one another, we point each other towards Christ, uh, we're hospitable and sharing, uh, we, we seek each we look and see each other's needs and try to, try to meet them. Um, this is the kind of hospitality we are called to. Um, a hospitality that is founded upon what is true about Jesus Christ. Uh, that then moves us to have love for one another just as Jesus Christ has loved us. Let's pray. Lord, we're amazed by uh, your grace that you have, uh, that we, we are people who are sinful, uh, we are people who have rebelled against you, and yet, out of your rich and overflowing uh, grace and mercy, you have provided salvation, uh, not because of anything that we have done, not because we deserve anything, but simply out of your grace. 
So Lord, we thank you and we praise you for that. And we ask that uh, you would help us to abide in the truth, that we'd be people who walk in love, uh, that we would show love to the lost, that we would uh, share the gospel and provide uh, help uh, to the lost, and also that we would show love to each other, while also being on guard against false teachers, that we would not aid or take part in the wickedness of spreading of false gospels, of false teachings of Jesus. Lord, help us to remain steadfast in the truth, that we would guard our hearts against what is false and cling to what is true. I mean, Lord, we thank you that you are a God who saves and you are a God who keeps. And pray this in your name. Amen.